Welcome to the Danger Room's X-Men First Class rearview mirror look at the movie X-Men First Class. My name is Jeremy. And I'm Adam. And we're here to talk to you about X-Men, well, just like I said, X-Men First Class. (laughs) (laughs) Did you get to see the movie? I did. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. Now, for those of you just tuning in, uh, a couple of episodes ago, we did a first look uh, preview, so so to say, where we looked at a trailer trailer, and then uh, looked at the cast and dissected to the best of our knowledge what was contained within the trailer and then our immense knowledge of the X-Men universe. Yes, immense. And that produced uh, a very exciting, well-received show. (laughs) <laughs> so many letters poured in yeah so with so many letters that we just don't even have time to read one <laughs> yeah so here we are to uh follow it up with a uh, rear view mirror look so to say so where should we start well let's, let's start with a spoiler warning if you have not seen the movie and you don't want to have anything spoiled turn back mm-hmm. because we are going to spoil galore yeah yeah go listen to episode eight or issue eight or whatever's out there right now and skip this until you actually see it uh i would actually uh, and that brings us maybe to a really good place to start i think uh that this movie spoilers out of the way uh is a good one to see in the theater okay okay why is that i guess the scope of the action and some of the cinematic effects uh, seem to seem to seem to translate very well on the big screen. Speaking of action scenes, I thought the action scenes were well done in this movie, but I want to take the chance to um, revise my statement of the first class first look, where I said that X Men Three was a good movie. <laughs> I've had time to think about that. Oh, okay, and um, I, I compared it to Return of the Jedi, and I stand by that. Um, it is oh. it is a the the action sequences are of a comparative value to Return of the Jedi. I still think the action sequences of X-Men Last Stand are among the best of the series. However, the story itself falls to pieces when I when I actually remember what happens. <laughs> All right, so you'll admit that the story was terrible. Yes. Right. <laughs> Action-wise, I mean, okay, going back in time to X-Men United when Mag- Magneto makes the bridge swoop over to Alcatraz or whatever, there's some cool visuals in there. Yeah. And then stuff with Juggernaut running through the thing. It was fun action scenes, but they, that's all it was. It was fun. Wow. Okay. Decent special effects. Right. So that said, it brings us to this film, the latest in the X-Men uh, franchise. Or earliest, depending on how you look at it. Yes, the latest <laughs> release to the earliest chronologically. Yes. And... Um, uh, what did you what did you what did you think of the special effects for this one? Oh, uh, start uh, there. Special effects action scenes. Okay, um, I actually kind of thought about this a little bit. All of the powers, uh, special effect powers, seem to be uh, well rendered and well represented, uh, and I didn't think any uh, any of them were over the top or poorly imagined. If that makes any sense. That mm-hmm. being said, there was a few scenes where. Things would be like ripping across um, trees or other debris. I, I don't have anything specifically in mind where uh, on the big screen, those looked very computer generated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that kind of took away a little bit. I, I thought if they spent maybe a couple of bucks more on, on the debris shots. Uh, it would really, be all it takes is a couple of bucks. Just a couple of dollars. I mean, you know, in the vast scheme of how, I mean, how much do you think X-Men cost to make? Uh, I don't keep track of that type of stuff. A couple mil. Oh, a well-researched uh, podcast who's doing a review <laughs> of the movie probably would have this information right in front of them, but uh, that's not what we do here. 
No, no, no. We, um, we, I, I'm, I'm guessing that uh, we're going to start out with some, uh, I, I say we start out with positive. Oh. Let's talk about the positive things. Okay. And then um, let's move on to the nitpickery nerd cast. Oh, all right. All right. All right. <laughs> So, uh, what, what did, how did you, what did you feel um, uh, was positive about the film? What are some things that you dug? Okay, uh, I really liked. Uh, I think it was James McAvoy who played uh, Professor X. Agreed, agreed. I thought actually both uh, Professor X and Magneto were uh, top-notch actors. Yes, totally agree. Uh, I was yes. Um, I can't say enough about the Professor X character, though. I, I got to be honest. Like, I, I think he was well written. And he uh, he carried the picture basically, and here's a guy yep. who who basically came out of nowhere to to do that role, and yep. then Michael Fassbender doing Magneto. He he was good. Uh, I have some quips that we'll get on uh, later about about how he was written, but but for what he was given, I thought he did a really good job. Yes, I'll agree with that. Speaking of those two actors, that they they, um, they were for me the most compelling part of the film. Their relationship is. Um, when it comes down to it, all I really wanted to see in the movie, and I thought that paid off in spades. The uh, the relationship of Professor X and Magneto is always it's, it's been more well it's been uh, yeah more well done in the films I think than in the comic books, and uh, this continued that trend. Okay. I've got some nitpickery <laughs> to be doing later on, but no, no, no. Go ahead, disagree. But uh, well, yeah, their well, the, yeah, their relationship was was portrayed well. Yes. Um, however, being kind of a, uh, I have I have some nitpicks about okay. that too. We'll keep no, uh, we'll, we'll save that for the okay. Okay, so yeah, you you are correct. Uh, uh, it was well established early on, and uh, I, I agree. They they were uh, what's the. I don't want to say that they were like good co-stars, like uh, you know, like uh, um, chemistry between like a male and a female, but they made they had good chemistry as uh, yeah, as, yeah. As, as friends go and uh, building the X Men team or or what would become the X Men team. And you're right, um, there really weren't any other characters uh, in the film <laughs> that were very well fleshed out or that you even really cared about. Yeah, clearly the film concentrated on them, and for the most part, the dialogue between them was pretty good, with some exceptions. Yeah, I'm trying to think. So we had Havoc, who was okay. Um, hmm. Well, so we had that angel uh, girl, the one that yep. had with the wings. Uh, uh, Banshee, Beast, Beast, Mystique, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Darwin. Darwin. Yep. And then and, uh, uh, we had well, and then we all had uh, Sebastian Shaw, and then we had uh, uh, Emma Frost, and then we had uh, Vertigo and um, the other Riptide. Oh, Riptide, not Vertigo. Riptide, and then wasn't there another evil mutant? Um, the teleporter, oh, yeah. uh, Azazel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so there you go. As those characters are all very forgettable because it just was painfully awkward trying to drag their names out of our uh, out of our mind. Um, yeah, the 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 one that the film concentrates the most on would be Mystique of all the the secondary mm-hmm. characters, and um, we'll speak about that later. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I liked kind of how she was introduced into the movie. You know, kind of breaking in. Uh, you get the feeling that she was a little urchin, uh, mm-hmm, uh, stealing mm-hmm. across little the Smurf. Country. Sure, <laughs> little Smurf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I I believe uh, you know uh, the professors being a stand up guy. Uh, I mean, there's there's some logistics involved that weren't quite explained, but 
He was a, he was a convincing like he was a little bit of a douchebag, which I thought was a really good um, part for his character. Sure, sure, because I think like, in in the in the additional mo- in the follow up movies or whatever the modern day movies, he's more selfless and more uh, yeah. professory. So he's he's matured, and I think through the actions of this movie, you see that oh well, maybe I shouldn't be such a condescending you know conceited guy. Right. So he was definitely high on himself, which was a nice touch. Yeah. Definitely. Um, this story, I thought, you know, it's pretty good. So the story is about the Cuban Missile Crisis, and Sebastian Shaw is trying to start World War Three. And at first, you're kind of like, why, what, what? But as the <laughs> movie progresses, you you kind of get an understanding of why he wants to do this. Seemed overly complicated, but you know, whatever. It was. So what it's. It, was. it sounds like on the whole, you like the movie. I did. Uh, I, I liked it more than I had initially anticipated. Uh, as we, if you go back and listen to the other podcast, you'll see me predicting nothing but doom and gloom for the film. And uh, <laughs> I was I was wrong. I got to admit I was wrong. I've talked to some people who said, "Oh, it's as good, if not better, than the first. And I don't know if I would necessarily go mm. that length. But it the was, first has a certain nostalgia factor that you know it, it was the first of its kind and. Yeah. Um, it, like even as a superhero movie, it was it was it was the one that kicked off the whole superhero movie thing in a way. And, it, um, it paved the way, and it uh, it stayed somewhat true to the comic book material that it came from. So yes. and, and had enough action and story to compel the non comic book and blah 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 blah. Yeah, I, I, I feel like yeah, the first one it definitely um, uh, the the first hour maybe of it was. Uh, an extremely well, it was pretty short. Maybe the first forty-five minutes um, was a was a really good film, and then where the action happens is where it kind of falls apart. But um, for, first, for the most part, it's it stands up the test of time. Oh yeah, stands, yeah. T- stands against the test of time. Sure. Um, so what else is there about first class that we can we can give uh, compliments and kudos to? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> good special mm. effects we had a pretty good story some good character development were there any uh little fanboy things to um to get the fanboys all excited there was no stan lee there was no stan lee you're right nice wolverine cameo they they uh had hugh jackman instead of stan lee i guess i thought that was okay i didn't mind that to be honest um and I know somebody in some boardroom must have been like, oh, this is a gamble. Uh, I don't know if this is going to pay off. And I, I thought it did. I just thought that the scene lingered a little too long. The Hugh Jackman scene? Yeah, because he's in the bar and they're like, hey, you want to join the X-Men? Or they, I don't know what they said. And he, he said he delivers his line, which I will not spoil because it's pretty funny. <laughs> and uh, but so then they walk out of the bar and they kind of just linger on Hugh Jackman who's just kind of like looking around and <laughs> yeah. curious and then nods to the bartender that he'll have another bar or another beer and is like okay 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 <laughs> I get it Hugh Jackman was in the movie fantastic well that was that would actually it would have been better if that was Stan Lee playing Wolverine but you know <laughs> yeah I suppose to some to some group of uh, fans out there it would have been but to another larger section it probably wouldn't would not have worked. According to Stan Lee, it was a marketing ploy to get people to go back to see the movie a second time because they would leave the theater going, wait, was Stan Lee in that? What was we better go back and see it again. Uh, well, maybe. Um, 
I, so yeah, I liked the cameo in that aspect, and I also uh, liked the cameo that Rebecca Romaine played as well. I thought that. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, and it was so brief that it was, it was kind of cool. That I mean, I got to imagine that you call up Rebecca Romaine, we're like, hey, we need you for fifteen seconds of film time, <laughs> and we need you to be pretty much naked you'll be under a blanket but you're going to be naked can you fly well, i mean out it's LA? par for the course she was nothing but naked in all the other x-men movies yeah but you know i mean here as an actress i'm saying you know yeah uh, she's getting going to be paid uh, uh millions of dollars uh to to be essentially a blue naked woman in the other movies and she's going to get paid she probably didn't even get paid for this role or I don't know. Maybe there's a scale. Oh, I'm sure they paid her something. I, I'm sure she was happy to do it. I mean, I would hope so. I would hope. Yeah, well, that's right. what I'm saying. I, I would. I mean, it seems that if she did it and somebody was like, let's call her. I mean, it just seems that everybody was into the project and that's that's very cool. Yeah. So, yeah, cameos were good. Other fanboy uh, stuff. You think there will be a sequel? Um, F, maybe. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I am sure, of would, course there will be. Yes. Would you be would you be excited to go see a sequel or would you rather see X-Men 4? Oh, well, yeah, I guess I had was it you that sent me some links on X-Men 4? Yeah. The X-Men 3 that never was that could possibly be X-Men 4. Uh, you know, I guess it's more to me about the characters mm-hmm. than than the uh continuity of this current film cycle that they have um i guess i have two things to say that i would be perfectly happy if they rebooted it and 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 did what i said last week or, or two weeks ago <laughs> whatever it was and, and start with the original x-men and then move on to a new team and and not chug turn through mutants and put gambit in 1979 and you yeah. know havoc in 1969 or 64 or whatever like stop putting the mutants in the wrong time period and using them uh, using them incorrectly and then just killing them i mean leave a couple yeah. alive for a few further sequels and uh so yeah. so that's in my opinion kind of been well that's that's the first thing i would say the second thing i would say is that um i'm i'm, I'm getting a little not i guess i'm getting a little tired of origins true uh because every in 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 the x-men or just in general for superhero movies well i mean kind of in general uh and maybe this isn't going to make any sense but all of the origin i mean look iron man was better than it should have been and that was basically an origin story um Mm -hmm. this x-men was basically another origin story X-Men 1 was kind of an origin story. All of these Fantastic Four, which I guess wasn't really that good. Two Hulks. <laughs> uh, those weren't good either. Uh, but uh, Thor, I'm assuming, was an uh, origin film. You know, yep, that definitely Ma- an origin film. You know that Captain America is going to be one and the Avengers. And, and so I guess what happens is uh, the, the origin stories seem to be really good and compelling. And people are like, oh, this is how Captain America became Captain America or Spider-Man mm-hmm. became Spider-Man. And then you get to two, and it's like, ah. <laughs> now that we're done with like the why did they do it? Now we're just now we're just doing it, and we're doing it for a lot longer than we were doing it before. You know, I think one it's of the things weak. that made Spider-Man, the first Spider-Man, really great was you spent like half the movie figuring out that Peter Parker was not figuring out that Peter Parker, but having Peter Parker figure out that he was Spider-Man, and what was he going to do with these fantastic powers? And then just a little itty bitty chunk of movie was like fighting the villain. You got no love for Spider-Man 2? Is that what I'm detecting? Spider-Man 2 was good. But I'm just saying Spider-Man was better. Spider-Man 2 is probably one of my favorite superhero films. I will go out on the line and say that. It was definitely, I think, better than the first Spider-Man. 
is it just because Sam Raimi did more Sam Raimi in it? Uh, no, I, it was it was because like you're like you're talking about, uh, it didn't have the origin. Okay. Uh, the origin just kind of bores me. I mean, I uh, I you know as a comic book reader, maybe it's because I already know it. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Once once you've watched, like, it doesn't have any any retail value. Like, I could watch Spider Man two again and again because it's it's an entertaining flick. Whereas an origin story, I don't want to watch more than once. Uh, I suppose. I suppose. Yeah, and plus I like Doc Ock better than uh, the Green Goblin. It's well, probably but, partially. But there again, it was another origin issue. I mean, an origin, because they were showing you the origin of Dr. Octopus. I guess they do that with every villain group, though. Yeah, that, that I don't know, those are generally shorter. Yeah, but maybe that's kind of why I got a little tired of the X-Men after a while, because we're just using the same mutants over and over again. You know, Magneto, basically. Yeah, yeah, true. Hmm. All right, so we've clearly branched into the nitpicky section of our <laughs> podcast. Well, before you continue, <laughs> let me ask you this. Are you going to watch the new Spider-Man movie? Yeah, of course I'm going to go watch it. I'm I'm worried about it being too much of the origin. I hope they kind of do a, a brief well, origin. Yeah. I don't want to see the origin again. I've already got... a slightly my, different way. I got predictions. <laughs> and it's probably yeah. obvious. Since Gwen Stacy's going to be in it, she's going to die. I do you think they'll kill her off in the first one or they'll kill her off in the second one? Because there's guarantee going to be a second one. I guarantee you they kill her off in the first one. And the reason why is for the same reason. Okay, now that we're into the nitpicky section of the X Men movie, <laughs> there was a few inevitabilities, right? That uh, uh, Professor Xavier had to go uh, and get paralyzed, and that Magneto mm-hmm. had to become evil, and that Mystique had to join him. Uh, those yes, were the inevitabilities. I kind of wish they hadn't done in the first movie and left it for like maybe a second movie. But yeah, inevitable, like you say. I wish that either none of that would have happened or maybe just one of those would have happened. And it could have just been Professor Xavier getting in the wheelchair. And maybe that's the thing that knocks him down a peg or two. And maybe it's not him getting shot in the back because Maura McTaggart, I don't know what she did, but caused that to happen. Yeah, well, it was Magneto's fault, but um, I, kinda, I actually that one I was okay with, um, and and I I, could, I would have been fine with that, and maybe just the hinting that Mystique was going to leave with Magneto without it actually happening. I guess I wish I would have liked to have seen uh, Professor Xavier uh, get uh, paralyzed due to his own overconfidence. Yeah, that would that's a good idea too. And then having yeah. that be kind of the turning point of his personality and then him confined to a wheelchair and the, okay, so then to follow that up, the reason that Magneto shouldn't have left immediately is because in the first movie, uh first X-Men, uh he's showing Wolverine Cerebro and this is how we find mutants and and he says this is how I'll find Magneto and he's like, "How do you know?" or something like that. And he goes, "Well, he helped me build it." Hmm. And <laughs> in X-Men First Class, now one could argue that Hank built it, but I, at some point, Professor Xavier has to transport that thing back to the mansion, and it should have been Magneto <laughs> helping him, like, reset it all up and calibrate it for the mutants and blah, 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 blah. But that didn't happen, and now it can't happen because Magneto's bad. Yeah. Unless oh, well. he briefly reforms, which could happen, I suppose. Which could happen. I mean, certainly the comic has showed us enough Magneto reforming and becoming evil again and again. So maybe I shouldn't be too quick to judge on that point because he just kind of left saying, I don't know if I really believe in you, but 
He could come I back have, in the second movie and be like, oh, you know, Professor, I'm willing to give it another try. I have a feeling that you're right on the money with with that just being a uh, discrepancy between the two films. It's like people don't watch the source material before writing the new one. <laughs> it's like they don't care. It's the same thing that happened in Star Wars. <laughs> the guy who wrote and directed those prequels obviously didn't talk to the guy who wrote and directed the the originals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> so that's that's the first nitpicky. What what's you what do you got now? Well, we can do uh, well, we'll my, do we'll do tag backs of uh, of nitpicks. Okay, my first major nitpick was um the character Darwin. Okay. Um one character in the film is black <laughs> and he dies. <laughs> yeah, that's, I actually and, and that's that's just I don't know. I feel like Hollywood is inherently racist a little bit. But uh, and then there was the scene where um, what is it? Uh, Sebastian Shaw is talking about how mutants are going to be feared and eventually mankind will bring them back to. And then they cut to Darwin slavery. Oh, that was just <laughs> pathetic. Yeah. Let's cut to the black guy. We're talking about slavery. Well, the movie did take place in the '60s. Yeah, I know, and they didn't touch upon the civil rights of the '60s at all, which would have been they they could have really touched on that and and had made it a little bit more interesting. But in defense of the movie and the source material, Darwin was black. I think he was black in the comic he books, was. and he died right away. Well, that's that's my other issue. If your power is the uh, what what is Darwin's power? The power to Evolve. adapt adapt uh, the survival of the fittest his power is to adapt to whatever the situation survival uh needs be well he's living in the 60s the time of civil rights wouldn't your mutant power adapt you to being white (laughs) that's pretty funny (laughs) (laughs) um where well the movie took place in new york so it's not like it was like bad, like in the South. It was probably still kind of bad. I, I don't know. The the they should have done something better with with rather than just having one black character in the movie and killing, killing him off immediately. Yeah. Almost, it would either better to have no black characters or to actually. I, there were more blue characters in the movie than there were black characters. Come on, that's a good point. <laughs> Uh, uh, I have actually uh, seen that same quip uh, on the internet where uh, some folks are calling the producers of the movie racist because of that very notion. It's, it's, I don't, uh, maybe I got, it's stretching, but at the same time, not really. I gotta be honest, I, I didn't even pay that half of, I, until I read it on the internet, I didn't even consider that, uh, I didn't even consider that. But, yeah. but now that I've read it on the internet, you know it's true. No, now that I've read it on the internet and you've also commented on it, <laughs> you know, I guess uh, yeah, there are some people that may have taken it that way. And that makes sense. Why not, why not kill off, like, one of the white guys and let the black guy live? I don't what know. What a novel idea. <laughs> You'd have to talk to the writers of the film, man. I, I just don't know. I don't know. Just just be more PC. I mean, uh, whatever. All right, all right. You're nitpick. Your turn. I think they hate black people. I think so too. <laughs> um, okay, what can I do next here? Um, all right, here's one. Uh, so th- when they were uh, on the beach, now this is kind of a, a continuity snafu within the movie. Uh, when they're on the beach, and I think it's Azazel, the red guy with the tail, has got Beast mm-hmm. pinned down on the ground. Uh, Mystique comes out as Sebastian Shaw, Shaw 
uh, shapeshifted and says, Azazel! And Azazel is momentarily confused and looks up at Shaw, and then Beast is able to, like, knock him over or something. Mystique is wearing the helmet, and at that point, none of the X-Men, including Professor Xavier, had seen Sebastian Shaw wearing the helmet. Yeah, I noticed that. Oh, you did? Okay. (laughs) So that was kind of bad. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That could have been very easily avoided just by paying attention to the script. I don't know. (laughs) Just by showing. And then had, had Mystique seen Shaw at any point in the film? Yeah, yeah, she did see him. When um, when, when Shaw had the confrontation, uh, when she showed when he showed up, and took Angel with him, and uh, uh, you know the whole his whole team showed up and gave like a, a speech to the the mutants and. Oh wait, then I'm wrong. I'm absolutely wrong because he entered the room with his helmet. Okay, okay. He entered that, the that, uh, oh he entered the room with his helmet, and then he said, "Is that professor around?" They said, "No." He's like, "Oh, I gotta take this silly thing off," and he takes it off. I'll, there you go. I stand corrected. Sure. I corrected myself. All right, your turn. Not really a nitpick. <laughs> so there you go, folks. If you're having that argument with somebody, you just listen to this podcast. We were both wrong. There is uh, uh, my 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 friend Garrett. I'll give him a shout out. Pointed this out to me, which is a pretty interesting um, idea. Which is probably um, you can argue against, but. Uh, there was a theme about Magneto, a theme of, of Magneto uh, learning to control his power with with bigger uh, objects, the big satellite. So in the beginning of the movie, he nearly kills himself trying to pull a submarine back to him, or I guess he's following it. By the end of the movie, he is able to pull a submarine out of the water. Mm-hmm. Um, would not it have been smarter to stop the turbines on the submarine, a much smaller object Maybe loosen some bolts, make the uh, make the propellers fall off the submarine. Are you talking about his uh, his initial attempt to his sabotage? initial attempt? He could handle small things, so why not focus on some small things? I am going to again come to the movie's defense here, <laughs> and say that you have a very confused, frustrated, and angry Magneto, who is only focused on. I don't know if he wants to pick up the sub or what he wants to do. I don't think he was thinking clear enough or even had the finely tuned skills to identify a a bolt or a turbine and stop them. My feeling is that he he sends, he's like, oh, they're right below me. They're in a big metal thing. I got to stop that big metal thing. So he just harnesses as much power as he can and it's pulling him down and he's drowning. And that's the whole thing that the X-Men are about because Professor Xavier's like, hey, man, you got to let go. And then towards as the movie goes on, he's like, "We got to learn how to control your power," and blah 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 blah. That is that is definitely the counter argument to that. Uh, however, also, I mean, he was he was going to die, so why why not try to think of something better? But like you said, he wasn't thinking straight, so I, I will uh, granted. <laughs> um, okay, let's see. Um, I had a big problem with the music. Really? Yes. I thought the music uh, through the first portion of the movie was pretty good until they get into the Blackbird. And then I swear to God, for like five minutes, it was this like super jaunty, heroic music. (laughs) And it was really loud. And they're like, you know, Beast is flying around, zooming back and forth. This just music. And something about it just didn't like all the music up until then felt very... uh, uh, moody or you know like it fit the scene well 
Uh, but this seemed to over-accentuate the scene and certainly took me out of, like, the 60s. It took me into, like, hmm. a more modern feel. So I didn't notice that, but, yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I can't knock you for that. When you watch it, it again, you're like, you oh, out. my God, this music's horrible. <laughs> That's what you're going to say. I, I've kind of uh, taken it as par that Hollywood movies are going to have generally horrible music. Okay, well, this was... A- <laughs> especially bothered me so yeah (laughs) you haven't been to see a movie in the theater in a while this is the first movie i've seen this year (laughs) wow in the theater so i i think maybe if you're watching it on video that probably wouldn't have hit you as hard maybe i'm wrong i don't know Mm, i don't know uh this will be my last one i think um i didn't have too many problems with it although i'm sure some will come out but uh (laughs) Um, the scene where Mystique names everybody kind of bothered me, um, especially when she got to the point where she named Magneto. We're led to believe that essentially his name is a combination of the word magnet and the word Nito. And he's a pretty cool dude up to this point, and he's very sophisticated, very serious, and he accepts the name Magneto. No, I and that's. Oh, kind of ruined the name Magneto for me completely. The uh, okay, Nito! yeah, I will give you, I'll grant you the first portion of that. Uh, it's very like, and we decided you should be called Magneto. She's just a little bit too bubbly as they go through their code <laughs> names. Uh, but Magneto or Eric Lencher at that point kind of brushes it off. He's like, whatever. Yeah, true. Uh, and then it's not until later when he's accepted his role as the master of magnetism. And, Whatever, that he finally comes in and says, I am Magneto. Yeah, and I could just imagine the scene. I am, oh, wait, I don't have a name yet. <laughs> I am Eric. Uh, Magneto. I wait, am, I'm Nito. I, wait, what? Oh, well, forget it. <laughs> um, yeah, that scene in particular uh, with the naming of the code names was kind of silly. I will agree with that. Um, uh, speaking of Mystique, a uh, couple of things about her. Um, one of them is a trait that runs throughout all of the movies, but the one that's particular for this movie is, uh, in Beast's laboratory, we find that she has a slowered cellular rate of growth or something like that, which kind of mm-hmm. makes sense because her power is to almost, uh, at the cellular level manipulate herself, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can buy that she will live twice as long, maybe three times as long as the rest of us, but wouldn't she then age slower than the professor? Well, we can't really ever determine her age because she's a shapeshifter. Well, I uh, okay, okay, you're right, you're right. So what you're saying is, we don't know how old she is. I mean, we know that. I mean, she is younger than the professor. The little girl and form, think, and then the teenage form. Yeah, we don't know how old she is. She, clearly, there's a current of immaturity that runs through her character. But, How, uh, however, uh. Magneto does say at one point, he says, you know, it takes half your strength to maintain that other form. And so we do get to see her true form when she is in the professor's uh, kitchen. And then Mm -hmm. later on when she's in college or high school, college, I would assume that it was. And they look like their age is following appropriately. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know the science. I mean, the science of these movies never holds up to any realism. <laughs> well, that's why this is called the nitpick section, Adam. <laughs> yeah, it's true, true. <laughs> the other thing about Magneto that's bugged me ever since the first one is 
She doesn't have... Why is she naked? And if she's truly naked, how does she do things? <laughs> like anything biologically related, you know? For example, in the comic book, she was blue, but she had like boots and like a dress, a big wet dr- mm-hmm. white dress. In the X-Men, isn't she just naked? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, weird. She wears a coat every now and again, but she's essentially just naked the entire movie, and it's and she doesn't have... Now, I could buy it. I don't think it would work in Hollywood if she had like all of the working parts of a human being, right? Because mm-hmm. that would make more sense like then Magneto because there's a scene in the movie where he's like I want to have he doesn't say I want to have sex with you but I mean it's <laughs> <laughs> that, that was another problem I had does he have sex with her or we just don't know well that's the thing that I'm wondering he's like oh no no I want your true form baby and so she turns into <laughs> Blue Mystique but Blue that's Mystique creepy. Blue Mystique doesn't have any holes <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> so it's like oh you know you could I don't know snuggle up against her but that's about it so, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm lobbying for them not having sex. <laughs> they, okay, because it's it's just weird. I mean, it's not weird that she's blue or anything like that. It's weird that he's older than her, and it seems like he's just taking advantage. I don't know. I, I, it's just morally. She, opposed, she can be whatever age she wants to be, though, as we just discussed. <sighs> My problem yeah. is she doesn't have the body parts to do anything with. Yeah, and I don't understand what who, what the costume designer in the first X Men was thinking when he said, "You know what? Everyone gets a costume except for you. You're naked." <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? That sucks. Okay. Speaking of clothes, um, what did you think of uh, Emma Emma Frost's ridiculous wardrobe throughout the film? Um, I thought it was appropriate for her character. She definitely matched the the comic book character's outfits. However, coming from the standpoint of someone who's never seen uh, one of these X-Men films before or is unfamiliar with the comic, she seemed like she was like a a character out of Austin Powers thrown into an X-Men movie. Yes, I agree. Especially... yeah, go ahead. It was a little just just jarring and, and uh, kind of comedic. Every time she would show up, it was like, we're in some other movie, and then it was silly. And Especially since the movie takes place in the 60s, so I can see how you yeah. make, how one would make that connection. In fact, I, I was watching it with my wife, and that there's a whole scene where they're in Vegas, and they go to that club, and they see all the ladies go in basically in their underwear, and I just felt like <laughs> I had to lean over and explain, like, well, this isn't weird. This is actually kind of like, <laughs> this is what they do in the X-Men. I don't know. They're just like this weird club. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why they're in their underwear. Cause yeah. Like why is she in her underwear? It doesn't make any sense. The scene where she shows up to, um, to, to kill the, uh, what are the, the Russian ambassador or whoever that was, mm-hmm. uh, the Cuban ambassador or somebody. Whatever. She just, it's like, they do like a long zoom and she's wearing her like, big fur coat and swanky outfit and I, I my girlfriend and i we just laughed out loud it was just like a swanky 60s film all of a sudden yeah yeah the other i mean okay so outfit wise i didn't have much of a problem but it was completely out of context i think it actually would have been more in context if her personality in the movie would have matched the comic book personality yeah maybe uh, maybe not i don't know but she was yeah. very dry and it seemed like she was just there to be pretty and she didn't seem to add a whole lot they 
yeah, the, the writers could have done a lot more with her. And, and honestly, I, I, I don't blame the actress uh, because she just wasn't given a lot to work with, to be honest. Yeah. I also uh, uh, I did not like her diamond form. I thought it was stupid looking. <laughs> um, and she was in Wolverine Origins, was she not? Yeah, and I think she was younger in Wolverine Origins. She might have been. We kind of talked about that a little bit. Um, maybe there's some continuity problems there. But the bottom line, it's only like 15 years later, so she may have gotten some surgery. But did she ever go into her uh, diamond form in Origins? Yeah, I think she did. Did it look as stupid? Probably. I don't, I mean, uh, okay. So Everything you, in Origins looked kind of stupid. <laughs> so you don't really remember. Um, neither do I. No, no, I don't. Okay. I just thought that she looked like, every time she went into her diamond form, she looked like a cartoon. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there's a there's a scene in the movie where Magneto wraps the bedposts around her neck and cracks her diamond form. And that was just confusing because I didn't understand why, what was going on there. Right. Well, there's like I guess he cracks her diamond form so she can't turn back, or she has to turn back. I don't remember what happened. Well, yeah, she crack he cracks her diamond form, which is my first problem because I mean diamond is the strongest mineral right. on earth, right? So, <laughs> geez, you'd think if he can crack her diamond form, he should be able to lift that sub out the water. Uh, so there's that. And then the second thing is, I, I believe that it was to crack her neck so that she has to turn human, uh, otherwise her neck is going to fall off, basically, like shatter, basically. But wouldn't that wound carry over to normalcy? Yeah. And even if it didn't, wouldn't she then be prevented from ever turning into diamond form again? That's what I thought. And then at the end of the movie, she's in diamond form. Maybe it was kind of like a, a minor fracture and she was able to go to some therapy that we didn't see. And uh, she was able to, and then she was fine. I don't know. But uh, Magneto's character, uh, like we said before, uh, he was a good actor. And uh, I just didn't think that he was as smart as he is portrayed in um, future movies. Or, yeah, in the future. Oh, here's a question. As a comic book uh, continuity dude, okay, um, how did you feel about Sebastian Shaw's rewrite? Uh, I think I, I thought, as far as movie continuity go, or I mean, comic book continuity goes, I, I thought it was bad. I thought it was squandered. Okay. Uh, I mean, he he was not he was not a villain in the the early years of the X Men. He was a villain in the Claremont years. Uh, there's a whole story and, and a bunch of other characters that go along with him. Um, well, how did you feel about him being a Nazi? You know, I got to be honest. So they opened up the movie. Oh, this is, I really did like how they reshot the intro of the movie and they kept it, it very, very clear. It almost looked like... That was were, surprising. I think they actually reused footage. I, I wanted to watch it again, uh, um, X-Men, our X-Men, the, the original mm -hmm. X-Men, just to see that because it, it looked either shot for shot or that they had actually edited in or maybe even they had shot a much longer intro and then cut it down for the original X-Men and they used this for it because it was, it was like spot on. I think they reused footage, and then they just cut to a different kid at the end. I don't know, but that was one of the uh, one of my more favorite parts in the first X Men was when they showed that scene as, mm -hmm. as the open. I was like, "Oh man, yeah!" And I guess that must have been a popular scene among a lot of people. Otherwise, they wouldn't have reshot it or done whatever they did to extend uh, that scene. So I really like that intro scene that they did. Uh, so when they take him up to what would become later Shaw's office, I I, I didn't actually know that that was Shaw. 
Yeah, I didn't know it at first. I was like, well, that's Kevin Bacon, isn't it? But is I, he supposed to be Shaw yet? I, maybe he's just playing another guy? And then it turned out it was him. So I had no idea that that was... I wasn't even really paying attention. He, was, he just seemed like a, a bit character who I thought at some point... I mean, there's... Okay, so another problem I guess I kind of had is he's... He, basically shoots the mother right and then he gets all upset and he makes all the metal fly around and he crushes those two nazis heads and so we're standing in a room full of like blades and saws and stuff and the guy who just killed his mom is like gently patting him on the back and i'm like what take one of those (laughs) knives and stuff you just crushed those guys you could certainly make something metal go fly at shaw yeah, I thought that was a little bit odd too. But. but but at that point, I hadn't connected the dots. I didn't even know that was Kevin Bacon. So later on, he kept saying like, oh, I got to go find those Nazis that got me. I'm like, all right, you know, hurry up. Let's get this part over so we can get the movie <laughs> going. Until I was like, out of somewhere along the line, I was like, oh my God, that was that was Shaw. I get it now. <laughs> it all comes together, sort of. But continuity-wise, I mean, he wasn't a Nazi. He was just, uh, I think he was English, you know. They're just like this bourgeois group of mutants that feel like, I mean, they're kind of like, the, the the story's the same. They, they feel like mutants should be the dominant species on the planet and should run things and humans should bow down to them, but they didn't have any alliance to Nazis. No. Yeah. But what are you going to do? I mean, you needed some villain. Magneto wasn't going to be your villain, so you need somebody, I suppose. And they weren't going to use Eunice or, <laughs> or the blob because... He doesn't show up until 1979 and then is promptly killed or something. I don't know. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, so in the in, in the in the follow-up movies, him and the professor are always playing chess. And yes, they were playing chess in this movie, but he mm-hmm. didn't seem to be like a a scholarly, educated character. I mean, the way they built his character is, you know, that whole intro thing happens is origin with you know shaping the man he's going to become. But then from that point on, his only reason for being is revenge. Well, I gather, like, I think this is kind of an interesting characterization. I think that um, Magneto is self-taught, whereas the professor is college-taught, scholarly, like you say. And, uh, you know, it's just an interesting dynamic between the two of them. No, he's not terribly smart when compared to the professor, but, you know, I I can see the roots of the the man he would become. He probably did a lot of, uh, you know, self-teaching. I would cede that point, but I guess I would have liked to have seen um, just a, be few, a little bit smarter. A few scenes, maybe just a couple minutes. Not even if he, he he wouldn't even have you wouldn't you wouldn't even have to change anything in the movie. All you would need to do is insert a couple of scenes of him, like maybe I don't know, escaping the concentration camp at the end of the war, and then him like I don't know, like learning from people, or and then. I don't know, something like that. Some, some, a little bit more character development to tell me why he is kind of the professor's intellectual equivalent. Mm. I would have liked to have seen that. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> but, you know, I didn't make the movie. <laughs> now, the other, uh, I, I guess this will be my last one because I could probably just keep going and going and going. <laughs> this really isn't a nitpick, but this is more of a, a another thing that I would have liked to have seen would have been the development of the professor's powers. And so when uh, Magneto, so they did that whole thing back in 1944. Magneto does his scream, you know, and you could tell there's like a, a lot of anguish and angst. When they cut to the professor and he kind of wakes up, I'm like, oh, you know, maybe this mutant who is developing his power and is, you know, shouting with anguish uh, has awoken the professor's power. And they, you know, they share some sort of silly 
finding their power bond in 1944, hmm. but it's not that at all. And, yeah. You know, the professor goes down and that's where we meet Mystique. And it looks like he's clearly been using his power for years and he's very, he's very adept at using his power. Yeah, you're too deep, man. You're too deep. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of the professor fumbling around with his power. Yeah, well, he does put his fingers to his head. <laughs> he does do that, yeah. <laughs> well, you got to do something action-y to, uh, <laughs> I guess, I don't know, act <laughs> like you're mentally controlling people. Anyhow, those... All I guess all of that being said, it's a I guess it's a lot easier to focus on the nitpicky and the oh always it's more fun too it it is but but honestly I mean would I watch it again would I, I let's put it on the would you buy the DVD comparison uh, not that I really buy DVDs anymore but <laughs> I, I would not buy this as a DVD to have in my collection to watch whenever I wanted to watch it I would not either but seeing it in the theater um or. Hmm. Let's say it was, uh, it appeared on Netflix. Would you add it to your instant queue? Yes, I would. And then I probably wouldn't hurry to watch it, though. Okay. Okay. It would have to be in my queue, in my instant queue. Right, in your instant queue. And I would have to just be like, not have anything to watch that day and be just like, oh, I haven't seen this in a while. Okay. It, I wouldn't seek it out. And then the final test. It's unless, a, oh. unless I was doing like... A watch all the X-Men sort of thing, which occasionally I do do things like that. Sure, sure, a little, little uh, sequelized marathon. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this. It's, uh, it's 12.30 in the morning. You're watching TV, and you flip to TNT, and it happens to be on midway through the movie. Do you finish watching it, or do you just keep going? Yes, I do. Even though it's going to be edited, and you're already halfway in the movie. Oh, I don't care about that. Oh, okay. It's more fun to come in the middle of a movie sometimes. Right. This would be a good movie to come into the middle of, I think. That's what she said. So anyways. <laughs> well, wait, answer your own questions. Oh, um, I would not buy the DVD. I doubt that I would add it to my instant queue. Uh, I would probably stop at 1230 in the morning and watch it midway through throughout to the end of the movie. So I guess, yeah. There you have it. There <laughs> you have it. Um, any other final words you want to add to the first class rearview mirror look? Um, on on the on the bad, good, great scale, what do you give it? Good, bad, good, and great. That's all I get. Can That's I, all you get. Can I get some other uh, uh, adjectives there? Well, what do what do you give it? Well, What's I mean, adjective? you have to have like you have to have like. Uh, utterly atrocious, <laughs> bad, watchable, good, and great, or something like that. You know, yeah, a five-point scale, a Netflix scale, if you will. If this 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 gets a three in my Netflix, lots of things, okay. lots of things get three in my Netflix though. Everything gets a three in my Netflix. <laughs> oh, it's maybe it's not a good scale to use. All right, bad, good, great. I give it a good. Bad, good, great. Okay. Well, but okay, would that become, that would be like bad, okay, good, well, great. Well, bad, okay, good, great. You got to put them in order. Right, right. Uh, okay, it's it's good then. Okay, agreed. <laughs> That's two goods from uh, your Danger Room hosts. <laughs> we we may do things like this uh, in the future, uh, you know. Maybe we'll uh, do the sequel challenge and, and do all of the X-Men movies. Maybe, maybe we'll, we'll do like Pride of the X-Men too. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> 
That would be fun to do. Until next time, the danger room is closed. Danger room.